Well, welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. Just absolutely delighted to be here again with Susan Lynn. Welcome. Jenny, I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, It was so much fun the last time. It was. It was fantastic. I learned so much. I love your books. Susan is a psychologist, award-winning ventriloquist, which is so unique and interesting and a world-renowned expert on creative play and the impact of media and commercial marketing on children. She was the founding director of Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, which is now called Fair Play, and is currently research associate at Boston Children's Hospital and lecturer on psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, the author of two other fantastic books, Consuming Kids and The Case for Make-Believe, which were both published by the New Press. And you have a brand new one coming out I got to read an advanced copy of it, which was fantastic. Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Thanks. A huge congrats is in order. This is a big labor of love, and it's a fantastic book. I have to tell you this story. I took it with me on a trip to read it, and it's just a great, it's a page turner. It's so informative and interesting, and I was getting some pictures of it. You know, I thought I'll share on social media. And it's got just this cover that grabs you. I had this paperback copy at the time. So I was setting it up in these little spots of trees and I was taking some pictures and the set of grandparents walked by and it catches your attention. Everyone's thinking about this question. They go, who's raising the kids? They said, we think it's the grandparents. That's what they said. But it is it is an important question in our time. And so thank you for such a phenomenal book. How was the writing process? How was this different from the other ones? And what was your path to this new book? Um, well, those are all really good questions. Um, you know, uh, Consuming Kids was written in 2004. It was before um, smartphones, before tablets, before personal assistance. It was just another time. And at yeah. first, um, the new press and I thought I would just be updating consuming kids, but it was clear almost yeah. instantly that the new technologies have changed so much. They haven't changed the intention of corporate America you know, to kind of get a stranglehold on our children, but it's changed the techniques. It's so much more invasive now. So that changed. And, um, and my interests changed a little bit as well. Um, I got, I mean, consuming kids was about behaviors mostly, um, you know, overeating, precocious sexuality, youth violence. Um, but I've gotten really interested in deeper issues, like in mm-hmm. what's behind the behavior and what, what motivates children, what, what motivates all of us. And so yeah. this is a book about um, the impact of big tech and big business on children's values, learning, and mm-hmm. relationships. So it really go, it goes deeper. And um, I really enjoyed that piece of it, being mm-hmm. able to really think about the, you know, what motivates kids and how our commercialized culture is really influencing them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to have written a book pre-iPhone, pre-tablet, and now have written one post. And so one of the things that you talk about that has changed, really so much has changed. I didn't know that retail therapy was a newer phrase, just coined in 2001. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. There was one thing that you talked in the book about how every store seems to have toys for sale now. That's a change. And I hadn't really thought about that, but you go to Barnes and Noble now and there's a toy section. You go to Hallmark where you used to just go buy birthday cards and there's a toy section. But what's going on in the technology sector in terms of addiction, in terms of trying to grab our time that has changed since the advent of the iPhone and the tablet and the things that we can have with us all the time? Well, you know, media, I mean, going back to radio, it was always a battle for our attention. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what happened with the new technologies and their capacity for surveillance, you know, mm-hmm. so now um, these tech companies know an enormous amount about us and not just what we do online, 
But now because of all these smart objects we have in our house, in our houses, they know a lot about what we do offline as well. And so mm -hmm. what they can do is target advertising directly at us, at our, mm -hmm. our, um, our weaknesses, our longings, mm -hmm. you know, our yearnings. And um, yeah. that just makes it more powerful. And they do that both to children and, you know, and of course to adults. So that changed. But also um, the new technologies, are the you know, social media, the games, they're built with what, um, what companies call persuasive design. Mm. And everything about the design is geared to keeping us on these devices as long as possible. So the alerts, you know, that, you know, the little beeps that send little squirts of dopamine through us and make us, you know, we have to see, you know, what is it? What is it? So, you know, that kind of thing. Um, leaderboards where, you know, you can see who's got the most points, who's ahead, and, you know, just gets us to compete. Um, so, you know, all kinds of notifications and also um, in-app and in-game advertising where, um, you know, and freemiums where apps are marketed as free, but you can only do a limited amount of things with them. And then, you know, it's really frustrating and leads, of course, to kids nagging their parents. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. A lot of it seems innocuous. There was a story that you had told that really stuck with me about some cute little thing that you had bought that was meant for kids. And you started to say, I'm bored. And how did that respond? Right. It was um, an Echo Dot for kids. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is so cute. And, you know, we're, yeah. I mean, we're wired to respond to cuteness. I mean, that's mm -hmm. basically, I think, what keeps us, what keeps babies alive. Yeah. You know, they're so cute. And so we don't mind all the things that we're doing for them or with them. But, um, but so it, it's, it's, you know, this cute little tiger face. And, um, and it, it, it's from Amazon. And it has a feature called what's um, called I'm Bored. And, mm. um, and so when I said, you know, to this device, I'm bored, what came up were all um, activities linked to commercial products. Wow. All of them. I mean, wow. all the games, you know, li linked to things to buy. And, wow. and, you know, and, you know, first of all, and, and Jenny, I know you, you know this, that boredom is useful for kids. It's how they learn to generate their own amusement, to think of new ideas and things to do. So just turning to a device, a device to say, I'm bored, that's problematic. But the fact that everything that they recommend is mm -hmm. basically an ad for something else makes it even more troubling. Right. And I think that ties into, and you have always been so compassionate toward parents. I think it's a breath of fresh air to hear the things that you say and to read the things that you write, that this is a really hard time to be a parent. And that would be one small instance of why you would hope that the Echo Dot would say, go find a jump rope, go play with some blocks. Instead, it's talking about different Barbies or different products that people can buy. You say, if people my age tell you just say no or talk about how they used to just turn off the TV, be polite, but remember they have no idea what raising children in a digitized, commercialized world is like. So one of the things parents are dealing with is nagging. Yes. I mean, and nagging has been going on for a long time. I mean, the tech industry or marketers, you know, didn't invent nagging, but what they do do is exasperate it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and set up the kids as a way of getting to the parents, you know, and that's the purpose. And the reason that Amazon through the Echo Dot doesn't say, go find a jump, jump rope, that's not lucrative for right. Amazon. Right. And so, so what I think we all need to remember is that the purpose 
of all of these devices is to make money for the people who uh, who make who make them, the people who make the content. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what they're for. They're not designed um, to make children's lives better or to make parents' lives easier, although they're marketed that way. They are marketed that way. There was an interesting piece that you had a part in there that really stopped me in my tracks because you talked about how the tech companies, let's say they had saturated the adult market. So then they had to move to the teen market. Now they've saturated the teen market and they've moved to the kids market and they're selling these products, these technology products, cell phones or different things. And they're marketing them to the parents as a safety device. Well, as to the kid, they're marketing it as something to be cool. And I thought that was really interesting because I have this thought in my mind of that's why you buy a smart phone for a young child. It's for their safety. I thought, oh, the marketing has gotten to me. But I know Lenore Skenazy, she's got that free range kids book. And she talks about it's good. It's good to not know where at the right ages, where everyone is 100% of the time. They need freedom. They need privacy. And we need to be able to let go of some of that anxiety. And so I thought that part of marketing, you call it and you had quoted someone else, but this immoral war on childhood waged for the profits of adults who should be the children's guardians. It's a big yeah, statement. First of all, um, I love Lenore and she does fantastic work. Mm-hmm. I think Let Grow is just a wonderful organization. Um, and um, and the thing is that, oh, so with teenagers, you know, they are out on their own. I mean, so, but with young children and, 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 you know, now smartphones are being marketed to, you know, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, they're always with adults. And so mm-hmm. really, how are they not safe? Right. I mean, you right. know, presumably, you know who the adults are. If, if you need to get hold of your child, you can call the adult's phone mm-hmm. and, and get to your child that way. Right. But, you know, parents are are marketed fear also as mm. a way of selling products. And so um, I think wow. that, that's, you know, that that that's, you know, part of the reason why parents are buying these devices for kids. For yeah. Kids. And fear probably in several different ways, fear of getting snatched. But then you also talk about the fear of being left behind in a digital age that's when that's maybe being sold a little bit through the educational realm. What's that all about? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, parents want the best for their children. And, and one of the things that I think parents today are concerned about, which probably they, once kids weren't just going into the family business, like farming or whatever it was, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they do worry about how their kids are going to be successful. And so yeah. the tech industry markets these devices as, as, you know, kids have to know how to use them, you know, practically the moment they're born, otherwise they're going to fall behind. But, you know, as one, you know, tech um, executive said, they make these devices for people who are brain dead. I right. mean, it's right. so easy to use an iPad or, you know, any mm-hmm. kind of tablet. And so what are kids doing? They're swiping, they're, you know, whatever, enlarging or making things right. smaller. They're tapping. I mean, those aren't like important skills. Right. And, um, and so, but the other thing is that these, mm-hmm. these devices, by the time the kids are adults, they aren't even going to be around probably. I mean, what's, what's coming, you know, I think voice more and more and more. So kids aren't going to need to know how to mm-hmm. do the, you know, all that stuff with their hands. They're just going to be able to ask devices things. So, so basically it's, bo- it's a bogus, um, it's a, it's a bogus claim basically. Right. Yeah. And I found that with our own lives. I grew up without a smartphone 
And we use technology for our business in certain ways, like this podcast. You know, we were able to get a podcast up and I edit it and I use Photoshop products for different things. And for the most part, I can clunkily manage my way around these things that look like they're fairly difficult to use, but they're not. And I'm older and less, you know, less adaptable as I guess society might say and didn't grow up with any of that technology, but we're still able to use what we need and so it is a claim. I agree, a bogus claim. It's not needed when they're young. They need to know how to use their minds and how to creatively problem solve. And that's happening in their play. First of all, Ginny, I, I don't, you're not old. <laughs> well, I, but I, I'm, well a, I'm the old, right? sure. I am the older generation though. You're an I'm older not, generation, right? I'm not yeah, an older. And so this, the newer one, you know, they call them digital natives and right. And so I'm a, a step out of that. And yeah. the point is, is it doesn't affect my ability to use technology in the ways that I need to use it for my life at this moment. Sure. And and one of the things um, it, that, um, I mean, ever since I started, you know, being con- so publicly concerned about the commercialization of children's lives, I've been accused of being a technophobe. Um, people call me a Luddite, even though... That's not really what the Luddites were, um, you know, and I use technology all the time. I mean, I, you know, I wrote the, you know, the book on my laptop and, you know, I'm talking to you. I have a website and, right. you know, I, I tweet sometimes, you know, I post mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's ridiculous, you know, but I think that marketers and people selling to kids, you know, kind of think of kids as adults and teeny tiny bodies, but they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not, their brains are growing and developing and, and, you know, they're, especially judgment, you know, doesn't really mature until we're in our late twenties. And so one of the things when, when people say, oh, kids are so tech savvy, well, they may be able to use the technology, but, but they don't, young children, and even, you know, young teens, preteens, they don't have, you know, the judgment to understand the potential long-term consequences of their behavior. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, Transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, 
H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. That's the truth. You had a statistic in there about elementary school students who have sent nude photos, 15%. That was mouth dropping to me. 15% is actually a lot. It sounds kind of like a small number, but I was thinking, well, in a class of 30 fourth graders, let's say, that's three of the kids. Of every single class, 30 kids of fourth graders, three of them have already sent a nude photo. And so they don't understand the long-term ramifications of those decisions. And sometimes just, it's an instantaneous one. I mean, how quick is it to snap a photo and then send it off? You can do it in two seconds and they don't know. And I agree. I wonder almost if, because this technophobe Luddite thing, it comes up a lot. And in fact, for me, if I ever post anything, my least, my least popular posts <laughs> are the ones that are being honest about technology or the things that I'm reading about technology. People do not like those. And I almost wonder if that's part of the marketing too, is if we're constantly coming down on people and saying, you're so old fashioned, get with the times that it allows these tech companies to bowl over everything in their way. There's no one to say, hold on, because everyone is saying, well, don't be a technophobe and don't be a Luddite. And there's no one to stand up. Well, that's why I wrote these books. I mean, somebody needs to stand up. And that's why I and my colleagues founded Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, Mm -hmm. which is now called Fair Play. And um, Fair Play does a fantastic job of standing up. And and one one piece of good news is um, there are actually a couple of bills in the Senate that have bipartisan support that really could go a long way to helping um, restrict the way that companies can target children online. And um, that's amazing. That's amazing, Susan. Well, tell us about what you did with Google and YouTube Kids. Yes, that was... um, um, Josh Golan, who's the executive director now of, um, of Fair Play, um, he and, and his staff filed a Federal Trade Commission complaint against YouTube for embedding advertising in their videos and, you know, basically exploiting kids. And Google, you know, ended up having to pay, you know, a fine. Of course, it was given, you know, it's a billion dollar company. So the fine, you know, wasn't so much, but also on YouTube kids, I mean, they had to stop um, targeting kids, you know, with this new digital kind of advertising. And so it it became more like watching television was. And, and less, you know, manipulative. I mean, they couldn't do targeted advertising. Um, I don't think autoplay is in effect on YouTube kids. Um, mm-hmm. It is on YouTube. And one problem yeah. is that um, millions and millions of kids use YouTube and they don't use YouTube kids. So right. that's a problem. And that's why we need more regulation. I had read recently about YouTube that it used to serve up because it has this autoplay, right? And then it would go to the next video and it used to pick videos that were in a similar vein. So let's say you're trying to learn how to draw horses, that the next video would maybe be about drawing a donkey. I don't know, something that's similar, but that that wasn't keeping people on enough. And so they started to do more extreme content, things that are really going to grip your attention. And and then it just it rolls away with your time and attention. But that's amazing what you guys did with Google Kids. And I know it is encouraging to hear that people are making a difference there. I thought Instagram Kids was going to come out and then it didn't. And there's been these things that have been announced and there's been a pause button pressed. And so... So well done. It's a really big deal. If people want to find out more about Fair Play, where can they find out more about that? Um, the Fair Play's website is um, fairplayforkids.org. Okay. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. Yeah, and um, you know, if they want to help um, get these bills passed in Congress, they should go to fairplay.org um, because mm-hmm. um, there are ways that um, people can really help. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's a big deal. Um, It's affecting society. You have some really good information about toys. This is one of my favorite parts in the book. There's this one sentence where you say, if interest wanes, so much the better. What's going on in the toy industry? Yeah. You know, again, the, the, the purpose of the toy industry is to make money for toy companies. Now, there are some really wonderful toy for kid, toys for kids, and there are um, companies who really do put the best interest of children to the forefront. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the huge toy conglomerates, Mattel, Hasbro, I mean, you know, they basically want to sell as many toys as possible. And so, so the, so they undermine creativity. Right. Sorry. I mean, I'm like you, this, I care about this a lot. So I get Mm -hmm. kind of excited about it, but they undermine creativity because children who play creatively are not lucrative for toy, for the toy industry because kids who play creatively can use the same toy over and over and over again in lots of different ways. And toys that really promote creativity, they don't do a whole lot. They don't talk, they don't sing, they don't dance. They don't limit uh, the scope of a child's imagination. They aren't linked to a media character, which, you know, immediately limits who that who that toy can be or what that toy can be. So, um, you know, the phrase is um, a good toy is 90% child and only 10% toy. Mm. And I, I, I think the toys that are advertised and the toys that sell well in, you know, 20 second, 30 second commercials are toys that do a whole bunch. They look really exciting. But basically what happens is that you buy this new, exciting electronic toy for a child and all the child does is press a button. So Mm. it stops being fun. But, But that's where we get into another problem with the marketing to kids is that they they, these companies, they don't just market products, they market values. And the values that they're marketing is that the things we buy will make us happy. Yes. We need the things we buy in order to be happy or to be successful or to be whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and what the you know what the research shows is um, in the long run, over the long term, in a sustainable way, the things we buy don't really make us happy. Mm-hmm. They make us happy at first, or they may. But yeah. what, what, what makes us happy are um, relationships make us happy. Experiences make us happy in a more sustainable way. And so we are marketing children these materialistic values and um, and and wow. kind of in a way can doom them to unhappiness. And there's a, a deeper problem. Well, I mean, having a lot of unhappy kids isn't, I mean, that's not shallow. Right. You know, we, you know, we're in an environmental crisis now with global warming and, um, and we're not going to be able to deal with global warming until we deal with consumerism. Mm-hmm. And so, so teaching kids that they need to buy things and they need all these products is really mm-hmm. undermining all of us and, you know, and, and this, the, the life of the earth. Wow. That we just, we need to be more mindful. And it's interesting, this, you had this phrase planned obsolescence that makes sense. If you can sell a toy that in three weeks is no longer fun then they're going to come buy another toy. We're searching for, I think, a little peace and quiet for the parent. We want something that's going to hold the kid's attention. And then they're obviously, the kid is searching for the new and different because our brains are wired for novelty and new things. 
And so this is just making these companies so much money. I think about, we keep a bin of baby toys and maybe we talked about this last time, but we keep a a bin of baby toys in our basement for when we have friends over. And here and there, our other kids go pull the bin out too, because there are these toys that last, the little room cars that go back. There's certain ones, blocks and things that always seem to hold their attention and you don't really need much more than that. In fact, yesterday, I, our youngest daughter was playing with these letter blocks and then she had four tigers and a piece of bubble wrap and she'd made something and it's, it's really special. And I love that you do that in your books. You highlight these different situations, help you remember all oh, beauty of play and the beauty of the types of toys that are less toy and more child, more imagination. And in the long run, that seems to be easier for parents. I think that um, that that's one of the things that um, that parents, I, I think, aren't told. And and you know, when you're raising a child, unless you have many children, so you've got older kids, you're so focused on on mm-hmm. the joys and challenges of that particular age that you're not necessarily thinking ahead. But, you know, if you start, you know, babies out with, you know, with smartphones and of course, you know, parents are being told that, you know, these apps are educational for babies, which, you know, is not true. Um, So, you know, what you're doing is training your child to turn to devices for stimulation and for soothing. And so for kids, I think, I think that for young children, holding off um, really gives kids a shot at being able to learn how to soothe and amuse themselves, to play by themselves, to create their own things to do. And in the long run, that makes it easier for parents. Right. And and also, I think, you know, that the parents I talk to feel so guilty about Mm. screen time. They're constantly fighting with their kids about how much and what. And so if you can postpone that, you've got more years of not having, you know, to deal with, you know, this, you know, gargantuan marketing machine. Yeah. It really shows how much technology is impacting our day-to-day relationships because you had a whole lot in there about the nagging piece. And this is another piece where it's causing friction between family members. And it happens in our home too, especially because we try and limit and we have limited times. This is when you can use screens, but they always, there's always an exception. There's always a, oh, hey, my friend can play now and hasn't been available for three weeks. Oh, hey, I want to make this movie. Oh, hey. So kids are, they're well adapted for skirting around the boundaries that you set in place. And so technology is definitely affecting our everyday life. And it, 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 yes, the nagging, you know, is a problem. And the fact that these companies encourage kids to nag um, is terrible, yeah. Um, but but the you know the technology comes between parents and children in yes. other ways and and mm. like I worry about digital assistants, mm. um, you know like like Amazon's um, Alexa and and the Echo Dot, which you know these these people marketing or the companies marketing personal assistants are you know talking about how it can help with homework. It can sing songs, it can sing lullabies to kids, it can tell stories. You know, basically um, there are personal robots on the market today that are being advertised as being able to promote social emotional development in 2022. (laughs) I'm not kidding, I just saw this the other day. Wow, Susan. And and so so what Mm. what the, the companies which have their eyes not on wow. just now, but also on the future as, as you know, the technology gets more and more sophisticated. And as, you know, we start having more robots um, that, that basically what they want is for kids to bond with the robots and, and to 
wow. believe that you know the robot the robots love them and and care for them and 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 that the robots will nurture them and mm. um and so it that is really going to interfere with with bonding wow. i mean the idea that there you know are machines that can sing lullabies to babies or you know tell stories you know to kids it might be convenient at the moment but the long term mm. consequences are really problematic and that's the other thing is that these companies you know parents are stressed i mean yep. it's 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 you know the most wonderful thing in the world to be a parent it's also the hardest thing in the world and mm -hmm. and especially today you know single parents you know parents working multiple jobs both yeah. parents working parents are really stressed and all parents um convenience you know becomes really you know important sometimes of course right. it does yeah. but the companies take advantage of this and and we may mm. because the devices are so um attention grabbing and and you know addictive really right you may think well i'm just going to hand my my preschooler this phone once but it's mm. it's it's not once. It, I mean, yeah. because then you're dealing with a nagging three or four year old who, you know, really, you know, wants the phone. So, um, wow, we're up against yeah. a lot. And what yeah. a deep layer. Like you said, it's gone from this. It's gone from nagging, nagging, maybe when we're out and about, we've marketed and we're at the grocery store. I think you had a statistic in your book about every seven minutes or something. The kid is asking for something. So we've gone from this layer of nagging to now it's in our home. So there's this friction of how do we use our time? How are we limiting with our kids? It's a constant friction. And now this is another level where it's basically trying to take the place of a guardian in some ways. And so that's really a powerful thing to look out for. But then you say, you know, when they say like Steve Jobs, everybody knows this. Steve Jobs kids didn't use the iPad. You know, Bill Gates kids didn't know they didn't use it. And you said, I never thought about this. There's an implicit message within there. What is that telling parents? Right. It's it's on the one hand, maybe it's a good model, but on the other hand, it's basically putting all of the responsibility on parents. And wow. parents have responsibility, but, but they are raising kids in this commercialized culture that is, you know, every place they go. And then, you know, when they're home, kids are, are just surrounded by, you know, these incredibly, you know, sophisticated um engrossing messages to buy things. That was a fascinating part in your book for me. I thought, oh, because everybody knows these tech titans, their kids aren't using the technology. So you do think, well, we just shouldn't use the technology either. But then their kids are at special schools and our kids are in the school that's giving out the iPad in kindergarten and their kids. It's just different. And so you had some amazing quotes that laying the blame and burden solely on parents is absurdly simplistic. There's a thousand people on the other side of the screen whose job is to break down whatever responsibility I can maintain. And you just talk about how this is such a burden and we're up against billions of dollars that's trying to break down our relationships and whatever resolve that we have after, like you said, a hard day of work, a lot to juggle. And it's a big and, deal. And we don't um, we don't support parents in this country, really. And so, um, you know, there, you know, universal daycare, it's not happening yet. I think it will eventually, but it's not happening yet. Parental leave. I mean, we're one of the few mm -hmm. countries, you know, developed countries in the world that doesn't have parental leave. And and so. On the one hand, you know, the, you, pundits blame parents, but on the other hand, parents, you know, are just not supported, really. And very limited resources. And I think also the breakdown of extended family, it's not the breakdown necessarily, but it's the fact that everyone lives in different areas. So we have 
Well, there's this house right next to us and there's a little gate in between. And I thought so many times, like, I wish our grandparents lived there because then I would just shoot the kids through the gate. We don't own the house. It's like someone else's house. But I thought how amazing, especially when they were younger, how amazing would it have been to have relief, any relief that was close by or nearby. And so to be up against such a tech giant is really hard. I think that, you know, what you're saying about, um, because I was thinking the same thing. I mean, the problem, one problem is that, that people move far away. And, Mm -hmm. and so we have, we went from a time when families and extended families really, you know, pitched in to raise kids Mm -hmm. where now, you know, the families aren't around. Yeah. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchap.com slash outside120 code outside120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids every day. AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. They carry that burden. And I think cousins, that's what I've noticed with my family, especially when our kids were young. If we had time with cousins, they're young and energetic too. So if you have a cousins that are a couple years older, They're going to occupy your kids so you can make the dinner. And now there's no one to occupy the kids while you're trying to make the dinner and everyone's crying. And so sometimes, like you said, the screen pacifies immediately. Sometimes it feels like it's the only answer. But part of the reason it feels like it's the only answer is because the parents and kids are used to it being the only answer. And, And that's, you know, really why postponing it, you know, you know, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the early years, I think is actually really helpful. Yes. I mean, if your kids have, you know, I know, I mean, people like, you know, about this, like the drawer, the bottom drawer in the kitchen that has toys in it or has pots and pans that the kids yeah. can play with while you're cooking involving your kids yeah. in cooking. I mean that, you know, that's a possibility having lots and lots and lots of art materials around that really helps. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but what, what the tech companies are 
our marketing are devices that have everything all built in. Right. So, and that are so compelling. And, and so I think that if it becomes a habit for young children, then, you know, that's what they're always going to want. Yeah. They're losing one of the things you talked about in the book, which is their intrinsic motivation. And I love the story about the, I think it was a psychologist <laughs> who wanted, can you tell that story? I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin told me this, this joke, basically that um, a psychologist moves into a neighborhood and she has a, a big lawn and, and she's writing a book. So she needs quiet and um, the kids are playing right on her lawn, right by where she's trying to write. And they're making huge amounts of noise and they won't stop. And she doesn't want to be, you know, that mean old lady who doesn't want the kids, you know, mm -hmm. making noise, but she doesn't want them to be making noise. So she starts paying them to play on her front lawn. And she pays them and she pays them a dollar, you know, each for playing on their front lawn. And then one day she stops paying them. And what happens is mm. that the kids no longer play on her lawn because they, what happened is they were playing on her lawn so they could get paid. That's not how it started out, but that's how it ended up. And one of the right. things is that when you start rewarding kids with external you know, in external rewards, yeah. then the reward becomes more important than the process. And that's wow. another problem with a lot of the ed tech programs that I looked at and also just, you know, the games yeah. that, um, that kids are playing online is that, you know, you play for some reward a, you know, like maybe it's a star, but it can also be like these virtual products. I mean, one of the things I talk about in this book, I was, yeah. I was in Australia and I was um, snuggling on a couch with, a, I think he was a five or six year old. And um, we were playing this Lego game. That's another thing we should talk about actually, but just to get through this story, we we're playing this Lego game and, you know, the, it wasn't creative, it, uh, you know, but I was playing it with him. That's what he wanted to do. And then all of a sudden he said, now we can go shopping. And I said, what? And so with the points that we earned in this car racing game, we could go and, um, and buy virtual things. And, and the idea that we're spent, you know, that what he's being trained to do is to care about what he gets at the end and not the process, you know, and, and play is all about process and actually learning should be about process as well. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, um, Lego is, you know, I think what's happened to Lego from the point of view of what's best for children is just really sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be, you know, this, box or or container of legos and you know yeah. maybe there were suggestions about what to build but you could build whatever you want but then it started coming in kits yeah and the kits were linked to media properties you know like yeah. star wars or harry potter yes I there's a lot of them of both harry potter and star wars but not when they're being used to um to sell, you know, all the characters and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, so that in itself was problematic, the whole idea of kits for yeah. kids. But now, you know, Lego has a strong online presence mm -hmm. and the games that I played of theirs, they're not creative at all. Mm -hmm. They're marketed as creative. Right. The kids are given lim limited choices about what they can create and, and, you know, even how, to to make a flower you know there are the different flower parts that you have to choose from kids need a lot of expansiveness mm -hmm. in order to create yeah well it's interesting that you bring that up that they make the star wars but then and you talk about this in your book i think they've created some things in order to make the legos to sell them so 
they'll make these Lego cartoons. One of them is called Ninjago and it's a Lego cartoon. And then all of a sudden they come out with the product line or they have the Lego movie and then they came out with the product line. So that's something that you talk about that changed, which was basically creating media for the sake of selling products. Right. And that happened um, in, in the 1980s, you know, basically in the 1970s, the late 1970s, the Federal Trade Commission was going to ban marketing on television to kids um, as young as six and, 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 or kids under eight, I think. And then they were going to even ban junk food advertising. And this was before the obesity epidemic um, to kids under 12. And there was so much pressure on Congress from the sugar industry and the toy industry and the media industry and, you know, this industry and that industry that um, Congress actually defunded the Federal Trade Commission for a while and also limited their ability to regulate marketing to kids. And then when Ronald Reagan was president, the Federal Communications Commission was deregulated and it became fine to create programs for the sole purpose of selling toys. Mm -hmm. And within a year, the 10 best-selling toys all had links to media media products, media programs rather. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, media, it's astonishing. It's It's also incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. It is. And that goes to the point of just this saying no, and it being this message that we're ineffective parents, you say it's such a malicious force, because it's important to know what we're up against and what's happening out there. And to give ourselves a little grace, but you don't leave us with no answers. You talk about we should get involved. So fair play, what you're doing legislatively is important. So getting involved, but then you say parents also want answers now. And you do a fantastic job of giving answers. You go through different phases of childhood. One of the things that I've been doing since reading your book, this is the coolest idea, is just Because you talk about also there's this mimicking and there's that's parenting as part is modeling. So part of it is how are we using our technology? How do we deal with our own technology? So one of the things that you say is announce what you're doing. I love this idea. I've been doing it. And actually it helps me because there's all sorts of reasons that we're using our technology that are needed for the day. You're trying to make plans with a friend. You're trying to even do things for your child. I'm trying to order you basketball shoes. I am looking up a recipe. Instead of having it be in the dark or just on our phone, say what you're doing. Right. And, you know, it's important to narrate for young children anyway, because it really helps them with their language development. So, um, but, it, but it's true, if you say something out loud, it, all of a sudden you can hear what you're doing. And yes. so that does, I think, really help us set limits. Yeah, you have great and, ideas and, in there. Yeah, one of the things, um, when I got a smartphone, I stopped wearing a watch. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't need a watch, right? Because I have a smartphone. But I noticed that every time I pulled out my smartphone to look at the time, I look, I checked my email, I checked my texts, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, that's the brilliance, sort of diabolical brilliance of having everything in one device. Yeah. And so I, um, I started wearing a watch again. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's I know easy, I want to. I mean, that's, that's an easy thing. I think for parents to do, and it it will cut down on how often you check your phone. Yeah, because we can, you can put it at the bottom of your bag. You can make it a little less easier to access. Cal Newport has a book called Digital Minimalism. He says, don't bring it everywhere all the time. It takes some periods of time where you don't have your phone with you. And if you've got your watch, then you're good to go. And to announce it, it it really helps you. I'm going to mindlessly scroll on Instagram. (laughs) It really helps you to be purposeful. And you had other ideas about making sure that you have a phone free thing to do when you're with your kids and they're playing. And okay, so here's what I am super interested in, Susan. And I since you're in the world of universities and research, you talk about this thing that has intrigued me for so long. When I am with my kids and they are playing, 
let's say we're at a park and I am on my phone. I have a really hard time transitioning out of that to engage with them. But if I'm reading a book, there's no trouble at all. It's seamless. Look up from the book, answer the question. So this is something that you talk about, but it's not been researched for adults. It's only really been researched for kids. Yeah. Um, what it's been, it, I, to my knowledge, nobody has researched the difference between being on, on a phone when you're at the playground and reading. Yes. But, but what researchers did find from University of Michigan did find is that, that the parents who were on their devices often or, or, or more often didn't respond to their kids, mm-hmm. their kids were calling them. And also um, they were more irritable about it. Wow. And so that, you know, that's, wow. yeah, that, that's another way that these devices come between parents and kids because kids are also more irritable. And there is, you're right, there is research on that. But I that it's hard to transition in and out of it. It's like you've gotten sucked into a different world. Even though books can be so transformative, they're also taking you into another world, but it's so different. It's so much easier. You don't even feel like you have to snap out of it. It's like you're still in the world. You're still there. You're still present, even though you're reading this fascinating story or this super interesting research, like what's in your book, you're still there and present, but then you have the phone and it's like you've been transported somewhere else. And I, I would, I hope someone does research on that because, because <laughs> that's, in, that's really interesting. And I think for parents to, to know, Look, if you just take a book or you take a knitting project, you had some really good ideas in there. You had other ideas as well. Or I have a friend, she does these journals and they go inside of this larger journal. So you can have a meal planning one in there and you can have a gratitude journal. They all kind of fit into one. You can pick and choose. And she said parents like that because they're out and about and they can physically write in their journal. They can make notes. They can do a brain dump, but they don't have to be on their phone. They don't have to use their phone for it. And so I think this piece is emerging and I think it's it's ripe for some good research and encouragement to always have some non-tech thing with us so that we're not going to the phones, just like we're trying to model for our kids to not always go to the phone. And, and one thing that's also, I think, really important in the research is that um, there, you know, there's a big push to get kids to use eBooks mm. or to, re, you know, to read on devices with their parents. But um, parents um, reading eBooks, you know, in particularly ones with a lot of bells and whistles, mm-hmm. um, the conversations that they have don't lend themselves to literacy. You know, they're more about do this, do that, do this. And and so that's one problem. But another problem is that whether a device has moving images or not, these devices, they're made for one person. They're not conducive to snuggling. And one Mm -hmm. of the most wonderful things about reading to kids is the snuggling, having them on their lap. And, and the devices don't lend themselves to that. Yeah. And then this is, yeah, this part of your book was so interesting. Well, then, because you had this other part too. I have it here bolded and in capital letters. Oh, my that, Yeah. Well, that, okay, this is big. The words printed on the pages of the book are static. They don't change depending on the vulnerabilities of whoever is reading. That books were not designed to foment addiction. Right. They're designed to be engrossing, mm-hmm. but but the 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 medium itself is static. And it's yeah. not like, you know, a device with, you know, the moving in images, the alerts and all those things that just keep us yeah. so gripped to them. And it's so much easier to disengage from that type of thing than it is to disengage from the smart world. And then you had some other ideas, one of which fit along with 1000 hours outside. So I liked it. You said carving out consistently tech-free, commercial-free family time. You had a bunch of ideas in there and finding friends that have the same worldview on tech, which the wait till eighth, wait until eighth, Shannon, she, she talks about how that pledge, just that singular pledge has brought so many families together 
for these, they form clubs within their neighborhoods of everyone that would go to the same school and they're all waiting on technology. And instead they're having family bonfire night. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Wait until eighth grade for the smartphone devices and, and that finding friends that have a similar outlook helps. um, Yeah. It helps a lot. It's hard to do it alone. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be the only one. Yeah. Well, Susan, what a book. We just, we scratched the surface. What a book. Uh, It's the trifecta. Now you have three and this is the third in an installment of uh, such influential writings for our times. Who's Raising the Kids, Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children, published by the New Press, and it will be out. Uh, This podcast goes out just a little bit after this launches, and so people will be able to get their hands on it and really glean from all of your research and all of your experience, which people are going to have to go back and listen to the other podcasts because we talk about all your ventriloquism and the puppets and all of the work that you've done with children over decades. And and so thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your writings and wisdom and for helping parents in a difficult age to raise children. Oh, Jenny, thanks so much to you and all, all of your work. And um, I love talking to you. It's so I much love fun. talking to you. It's, it is. It's so much fun. So until next time, uh, thank you. And hopefully we'll cross paths again soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.